Let me just open in a word of prayer as we begin. Father, how our hearts do yearn to be in your presence in heaven forever, where we will sing your praises. And Father, as I sang that this morning, my heart yearned to be in your presence. And Father, I look forward to the day where there is no more death, there is no more pain, there is no more sin, there is no more disappointment, where you have promised to wipe every tear from our eye. And where we can be in your presence forever. Father, we yearn for that day. I pray that as uh, we think upon your word this morning, that our hearts will yearn for the day that we can be with you forever. Father, I have nothing to offer this morning except the eternal, inspired, inerrant word of God. May my words fall away and may your words land in the hearts where they need to land this morning. Father, would you meet with us this morning by the power of your spirit? And Father, would you work through me this morning so that I might boldly proclaim the truth of your word? Father, meet with us today, we pray. Would you bless Community Bible Church? Father, would you bless what is going on down the hall with the children right now? May you be at at work in the hearts of the leaders of this ministry. May you uh, grant rest and relaxation and refreshment and renewal to Joel and to Carrie and their family. Father, would you just be with them today? Would you bless them? Grant them safety and bring them back. Father, we're just grateful for this time that we can meet with you today. We pray this in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12? 2 Samuel chapter 12. I know that Joel is going to listen to the recording of this, so I always say something to to play with Joel a little bit. And and only Joel would give me a chapter. Um, I usually cover about a verse at a time, sometimes a word at a time. And I looked at 2 Samuel chapter 12 and I said, Joel, you've given me one week to deliver a 14-part series. So um, we're going to do the best that we can because there is a lot in this chapter Uh, But this is the word of God. Would you follow along as I read 2 Samuel chapter 12? And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up, and he grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. 
Now, there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin you shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick, and therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground, and the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his house and when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servants said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. 
Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. This is the inerrant, inspired, holy word of God. This is quite a story. And I've taken the subtitle for this message and I've entitled it, David the Grieving Father, The Kindness and the Severity of God. You know, oftentimes people want to make God what they want God to look like. But God is both kind to David, but God is also severe to David. And if we just took the kind side of God in this story, we would miss much of the story. If you're going to consider the kindness of God, you also have to consider the severity of God. You see, you can't consider the love of God without considering the justice of God. You cannot consider the mercy of God without considering the holiness of God. God is perfect in all of his attributes. And this morning, I'm going to ask us to consider the kindness and the severity of God. I've taken this subtitle from Romans chapter 11, so keep a finger in, and that's kind of a funny word to say now because most people's Bibles are electronic, but keep a finger in 2 Samuel 12 and turn over to Romans chapter 11, verse 22. I was reading in my Bible several weeks ago as I was contemplating this sermon on David and Bathsheba, and I came across this verse in Romans chapter 11, verse 22, and Paul says this, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. He's speaking here to the Gentiles who have been grafted in. The Jews, by and large, had rejected Jesus. Scripture tells us he came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. They rejected the King of glory. And yet the Gentiles received the gospel. Paul was a minister to the Gentiles and it was his ministry to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first, but also to the Greeks. The Jews rejected it, but the Gentiles some of them received it. And so here in Romans chapter 11, we see both the kindness of God to the Gentiles, but we also see the severity of God to the Jews because they by and large rejected the king of glory. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 
In 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see the life of David in vivid colors, both the kindness of God and the severity of God. 2 Samuel chapter 12 recounts the tragic story of David with Bathsheba. I want you to think for a moment of the entirety of David's life. I want you to think about the fact that he was the king of Israel. I want you to consider for a moment that David would have had nothing had it not been provided to him by God. God gave him everything. He wrote the Psalms. He was called a man after God's own heart. God withheld nothing from David. And that is the entirety of David's life. But then there is 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I would submit to you that you cannot consider David's life, but forget about 2 Samuel chapter 12. You see, the entirety of a man's life, the entirety of a woman's life, is usually a long span of a lifetime. You look at the totality of a person's life and you can say, on balance, they did okay. Oh, this person didn't do so well. This person did many good things. David had all of these things provided for him and it took a moment of sin in his life and it changed the entire direction of his life. I want that to sink in this morning. I do not know each person here today. And even if you and I were best friends, I could say, I know you, but I really do not know your heart. You may know me, but you really do not know my heart. But you know who you are when no one else is around. You know who you are when no one else is looking. David made a decision that would impact his life in tragic ways. And if we fail to understand that this morning, then we may repeat similar history in our lives and suffer similar consequences. I ask you this morning to consider the kindness and the severity of God. Of course, we know the story from 2 Samuel chapter 11 where David goes to Bathsheba having watched her bathing uh, on his rooftop there in Jerusalem. And he sends for her and he brings her to his house and he sleeps with her and she gets pregnant. And so David, instead of saying, I've, I've done wrong, I've taken another man's wife, I deserve to die. God, I repent in dust and in ashes. You judge me, Lord, because I have done wrong. Instead, what David does is he said, send for me Uriah. Let's get him off the battlefield because if I can get him to spend some time with Bathsheba and since she is pregnant, maybe they won't know that it was me. They'll think it was him. And Uriah is a good man. He's a good soldier, and he says, you know what? 
my men are out on the field. I am not going to leave sleeping on the ground in front of the king's house. I will not go and be with my wife while my men are fighting in the field. And so David says, hey, send Uriah to the front lines. Send him to the heaviest point of battle. When it looks like he will get killed, pull back and let the man die. So David has lust in his heart. He desires Bathsheba. He takes her for his own. She gets pregnant. And he lines up the murder of Uriah the Hittite. Nathan then comes to David. Nathan is a prophet of God. And Nathan does a very Middle Eastern thing. He tells a story. How many times did Jesus tell a story to make a point? The parables. Nathan tells a story and he said, David, I want to tell you a story and get your read on this. There were two men, a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had all flocks and herds that any man could ever want. He had everything. The poor man had one little ewe lamb. And it wasn't just any little lamb. He loved that lamb. His children loved that lamb. When they were at the table, they would take little morsels of food and they would feed that little lamb. That lamb was like a baby to them. Now, you might be thinking right now of a family pet. I saw several of you looking at each other, and you're thinking of a family pet. If you were thinking of a family pet, would you raise your hand? All right, I knew you were. I'm going to tell you something that's shameful to me. I have a Yorkie poo. Every time I tell people that, a part of my manhood dies. My fully grown Yorkie poo, fully wet, wearing a weight vest, weighs six pounds, all right? We will take that Yorkie poo and we will turn him upside down and he'll be like this and he'll lick our face and we'll feed him food from the table. We love that Yorkie poo. Okay, I'm ashamed. I got it out there, okay? <laughs> this poor man and his family love this little ewe lamb, Nathan said. But then there came a traveler from a far country. And in Middle Eastern custom, you invite someone into your home, you take one of your animals, you kill it, you prepare it, and you feed the traveler. But the rich man was so greedy that he said, even though I have massive flocks and herds, I am not going to take one lamb from my flock or my herd. I am going to take the poor man's you lamb whom he treasures and loves and feeds from his own table and that is going to become the dinner for my traveler because you're not touching my stuff. And Nathan says, David, what do you think about that? Here's what David says about this man. David says in verse 5 of 2 Samuel chapter 12, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, 
As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Do you think David understood that he was pronouncing judgment against himself when he said that? Absolutely not. He had no idea this was about him. But then the judgment is pronounced against him. The judgment is pronounced by Nathan the prophet. Look there in verse 7 of 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan said to David, you are the man. I would submit to you this morning that you could not take a club with one hit and beat somebody harder than Nathan beat David with those words. David, King, you are the man. He is about to pronounce judgment on David. But look at what Nathan says to him, because I think it will tell you how far David fell in making one decision in his life to not obey God, to disregard God's law. I think it shows how far David fell. Look at verse 7. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. What is he saying? He's saying, David, without me, you would have nothing. David, without me, you would be nothing. You would have no past. You would have no present. You would have no future. David, everything that you are and everything that you have and everything that you could be is because I have given it to you. And you might say this morning, well, that's King David, that's not me. I would submit to you this morning, every good and perfect gift comes from God, from the Father of lights, In him there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Folks, anything that you are and everything that you have and everything that you hope to be in the future will be as a result of God giving it to you, the God who owns everything. And Nathan says to David, look at what you've done. God made you king. God gave you a house. God gave you great gifts. God gave you a people. He gave you a throne. He gave you a crown. He gave you victories. David, how could you? Think of how that cut to the heart of David. You are the man. Everything that you have, David, comes from God. 
Well, there was no pre-sentence investigation here. There was no preliminary hearing. There was no need for a trial. David knew that he was wrong. Everybody in Jerusalem knew that David was wrong. Nathan knew because he had come from God. He knew that David was wrong. So there was no need for a trial. He proceeds directly to the sentence. Let's look at the sentence in verse 9. Nathan says to David, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. The sword is never going to leave you, David. Verse 11, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Folks, it is one thing to experience evil. And living in an evil, sinful world, we experience evil. But it is a whole nother level of evil when you experience evil out of your own house. That was item number two of the sentence. Item number three, verse 11. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. David, I gave you your wives. I'm taking them away. Verse 12. David, you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the Son. So David, there is going to be no private shame here. You are going to live this shame in front of everyone. And finally, verse 14. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. I would submit to you that when you think about the story of David and Bathsheba, what your mind automatically goes to as a consequence against David is the fact that he loses the child that he has with Bathsheba. And I would say this morning that while that was painful and while that was terrible, the other items of the sentence would have put much more pressure and much more anguish on the heart of David. I would say this morning that God said, David, as a result of your sin and your disobedience, I am going to choose to crush you. Consider this morning the severity of God. So I want to ask you the question this morning. Do you think after the moment that the sentence is pronounced and David is standing before Nathan who has been sent by God to judge him for his sin? After the full weight of that sentence is on David's shoulders and he realizes 
what it is that he is about to suffer as a result of his disobedience. If Nathan had said to David, David, was it worth it? David, do you have any regret now? Do you think for that moment of pleasure that the sentence that has been laid upon you and that will be carried out by the hand of God, David, was it worth it? The question answers itself. To see if it was worth it, I want us to look at the sentence this morning. I want to take it item by item. Look at the first part of the sentence. The sword will never depart from your house. Now, what does that mean? The sword indicates war. The sword indicates violence. The sword indicates death and bloodshed and hurt and pain. Did you know that three of David's sons died violent deaths? Amnon suffered death at the hand of David's son, Absalom, after Amnon slept with his sister. Absalom died after rebelling against his father, David, trying to overtake his throne. Adonijah, David's son, died at the hand of Solomon after rebelling against Solomon who was then king over Israel. And Nathan says to David, the sword will never depart from your house. David, was it worth it? Also consider this, David wanted to build a temple to God in Jerusalem. But God said, Because the sword has not departed from your house as a result of a sentence that I imposed upon you, you may not build the temple. Your son Solomon will be given the task to build the temple. That in and of itself was a heavy sentence. Consider the severity of God. Was it worth it? Item number two of the sentence. I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Consider these facts. David's son Absalom murdered Amnon. David's son Amnon raped his sister Tamar. Absalom rebelled against David and attempted to conquer the throne and died in the process. I want you to notice just one point in time uh, in a multitude of griefs that David experienced as a result of this sentence. Would you go to 2 Samuel chapter 18? A few chapters forward, 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 31. The word of God says this. 
And behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. In other words, He's dead. And the king was deeply moved and went to the chamber over the gate and he wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Consider the severity of of God. David, was it worth it? Let's look at the next part of the sentence. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. This portion of the sentence took place when Absalom took David's harem for himself, when Absalom was in active rebellion against his father. Now, I want you to think for a second. Has anyone ever betrayed you on something? Just think about it. How did that feel? Now consider this. David was king in Israel. He had provided his sons with everything. Does it sound familiar? David had provided his sons with everything that they needed. They received the royal treatment. They got the respect that their position afforded them. And yet Absalom, who was not satisfied with the position that God had given him, betrays his father and goes to war against his father, and he dies as a result of going to war against his father, consider the severity of how that must have affected David as a father. And consider his grief that even after Absalom does that to him, he cries in grief, Absalom, oh Absalom. Consider the severity of God. Was it worth it? The next item of the sentence. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Now you say, that doesn't sound that bad. Okay, so everybody's going to see it. Remember when you were a kid and you're going to somebody's house And your parents said, if you do this while we're at company, this is going to happen to you and it's going to happen in front of everybody. Does anybody ever remember a speech like that on the way to somebody's house? You're going to, this is going to happen in front of all the guests and and, and under the sun. This is going to happen. What your parents were hoping to do is shame you into the fact that you don't want to be punished in front of everybody because when you're punished in front of everybody, it's kind of shameful. David lived in a shame-honor culture where loss of face 
was a significant concept and to lose face in front of uh, your friends and your family and the people that you rule over was a tremendous shame that was hard to bear. And all of David's punishment was lived out in living color before everyone in Israel. Consider the severity of God. Was it worth it? The next item of the sentence. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. So Bathsheba and David's baby, this newborn, is going to die. Look what David says in verses 5 and 6 because David pronounces the correct sentence under the law of God that was appropriately placed on the crime before he knew it was him that he was speaking of. Look at verse 5. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. According to Exodus 22, 1, if you took another man's lamb, if you did harm to another man's lamb, you needed to replace it, but the ratio was not one to one. If you killed another man's lamb, whether on purpose or by accident, you had to take that man four lambs in order to replace that one. You had to substitute the four for the one. Now, in David's case, we're not talking about lambs, are we? That was just a way to deliver the terrible message to David. Let me give you the names of the lamb this morning. Amnon, Absalom, Adonijah, and the baby of David and Bathsheba who is not given a name. God said to David, I am going to require full restitution for you taking the life of Uriah and for you committing adultery with Bathsheba. Folks, this morning I would ask you, consider the severity of God. Was it worth it? Now, you might be sitting here this morning and saying, that seems awfully harsh, Chris. Yes, that was a terrible crime, but where is the mercy of God? I thought God is love. God is love. But you know what? God is also holy. God is perfectly holy. You know when Isaiah saw God for what he was, high and lifted up, it says in Isaiah chapter 6, and his train filled the temple, and Isaiah cries out when he sees this great majestic sight of a holy God, and he realizes how sinful he is in his presence. He cries out, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you realize 
that any sin that we commit in this lifetime, whether it be big or small, is cosmic treason against a holy God who cannot tolerate sin and still be just. It seems from a human vantage point that this is a harsh sentence. But I would submit to you this morning that the sentence fit the crime. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So when you sin, you go and pick up a paycheck. And instead of a dollar figure on that paycheck, that paycheck says what you have earned as a result of any sin that you have ever committed is death. That's what we earn. The wages of sin is death. Why do we die? It says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, sin entered the world in death through sin. The reason we die is because we have sinned. Sin separates us from God physically. Sin separates us from God spiritually And we need something to bridge the gap between our sin and a holy God. And the good news is, is that Jesus Christ bridges that gap by dying on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And you know when he did it? He did it even before we sinned. He did it even while we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, he provided us a way to have peace with him. Now, if the severity of God was all there is, both David and all of us would be without hope. But I'm here to tell you this morning the good news that while true, the severity of God That's not the whole story. Let's spend the remainder of our time together considering the kindness of God. Now, first of all, the kindness of God must be read in the context of what David does after he receives the sentence from Nathan. Look at verse 13 in 2 Samuel 12. What does it say? David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Folks, I want you to notice something. There is no equivocation. There is no excuse. There's just repentance. Now, we have all apologized with caveats, haven't we? With asterisks, with fine print at the bottom. Have you ever... Ask forgiveness like that? Well, dear, if I said something to offend you, well, honey, if you took that the wrong way, well, you have to understand I had a hard day and I was tired and I'm hungry. These are just some random examples that I've heard my friends talk about. (laughs) Have you heard your friends talk about those too? As opposed to, you know what? I have sinned against you. I was wrong. Forgive me. 
That's repentance. And you know what? I may fail in the future, but you're going to see much more success than failure because when I turn away from that sin, that's what repentance is. I was going that direction. Now I'm going that direction. We shouldn't have that play on the record player over and over and over again because I'm walking away from that sin. That's repentance. Did David repent? Well, I'll tell you, Psalm 51 shows that he repented. Just listen to these words. This was written after his sin with Bathsheba. David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David asks for forgiveness and I believe that God gave it to him. There was no equivocation. There was no explanation. There was no belittling. There was just true repentance. Now there might be somebody here this morning and you might be saying in your mind, Chris, it cannot be that easy. I want you to think about the thief on the cross who had lived a terrible life that ended him being crucified right by Jesus. And he has this interaction with the other thief and with Jesus. And on the cross, before he is about to die, after living a degraded life of sin that deserved the most hideous punishment known to the Roman government, death on a cross, And he repents of his sin. And Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. Oh, how many people have gone to hell because they have said, it can't be that easy. Folks, consider the kindness of God. David's repentance, was it worth it? Look at verse 13 of 2 Samuel chapter 12. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. What? David does this hideous act against a holy God And he repents and God says two things. I have put away your sin. Where does he put it? He puts it in a place as far as the east is from the west. 
When you repent of your sin, God will no longer hold it against you. When you repent of your sin, God will not remind you of it. Now, you might be reminded of your sin and of your failure, and I'll tell you exactly in your life when that happens what is going on. The deceiver of all deceivers, Satan, is making charges against you that can never be sustained because your sin has been divided against you as far as the east is from the west. God will remember it against you no more, and yet Satan will come back and remind you about it because he is a liar, and he is a deceiver, and he is a thief, and he is a murderer. But you can tell Satan on the authority of the shed blood of Christ, I am forgiven. I want you to think about the kindness of God. Not only did God put away your sin, he says to David, you shall not die. Now, did David die? Yes or no? Did David die? I've been to Jerusalem. I didn't see David. I saw saw a guy walking around pretending like he was Jesus. I was certain that he wasn't. I didn't see David. In fact, they had a place called David's tomb. David died. But you see, what he was saying there is, under the Mosaic law, you committed adultery and you committed murder. You deserve to die. God says, I'm not going to carry out those sentences against you because of my grace, because of my mercy. We have a gracious, compassionate, loving merciful God. Be grateful for that, aren't you? Don't you give yourself reason to be thankful for that every single day? Please tell me yes, because I do. I think the other way that God shows his love to David is after the child dies. I want to point out one thing. Go to verse 23 of 2 Samuel chapter 12. Verse 23 says about David, speaking about the child who has just died. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Commentators use this verse and some statements that Jesus makes in the New Testament to say, you know what? If you have lost a child before the age of accountability where they can consider their sin as a violation against a holy God, a just and loving God is going to bring that child to heaven even before they become a believer in Christ because of the grace of God. Because of the mercy of God. I know I spent a lot of time this morning saying, consider the severity of God. But folks, I want you to consider this morning, God is kind and merciful and loving. And he demonstrated that to David. I want to give you three conclusions to think about as you leave today. 
Conclusion number one, deal with your sin or God will deal with you. Folks, do not think that you can hide your sin from God. If you serve a God that you think that you can hide from, you do not serve the God that I serve. There is nothing that you think, there is nothing that you have an intention for, there is nothing that you do that is hidden from God. If you are doing something in secret, God will bring it out in the open and you will deal with it then. Do not fail to deal with your sin. Number two, even after repentance, there are consequences. Did David repent and receive forgiveness? Yes or no? Yes. Tremendous repentance. Tremendous forgiveness. God could have killed him immediately, and yet he didn't. But did David suffer the horrific, ongoing, tragic consequences of his sin? Yes, he did. He lost four children. He had rebellion come from within his house. He was there on display and open shame before all of his people. The sentence of God went on and on and on and on. I used to teach fourth, fifth, and sixth grade uh, Sunday school of boys. In fact, I have somebody in my ABF who I taught in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. It's wonderful to see him as an adult raising his family for the glory of God. But I used to tell him the story. A man jumps off the Empire State Building. He gets down to the 90th floor and he thinks, that was stupid. Perhaps I should have thought this through a little better. Lord, forgive me. Does God forgive him? Yeah. What happens when he gets to the bottom? Splat, right. Yeah, that's what what happens. He dies. You can ask God forgiveness, but our sin causes consequence. That's as a result of the judgment of God. And number three, God forgives sin. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This morning, if you were here and you are thinking, it can't be that easy. I tell you, on the authority of the word of God, it is that easy. Turn from your sin. Repent. Call on the shed blood of Jesus Christ to cover your sin, and your sin will be forgiven the moment you're done confessing it to the glory of God. His sin, was it worth it? No. His repentance, was it worth it? You bet it was. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I commit our time to you. May your spirit apply your word to our hearts. And Father, in areas where we have been unfaithful, would you just show that to us, Lord? Would you help us to lead our lives in a way that pleases you? 
Lord, may your spirit be free this morning to act in hearts in order to convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to the glory of your great name and for your kingdom, we pray. We love you, Jesus. Amen.